Let's get on with it. You ready? All right, we've been talking about kingdom stuff, the kingdom of God. And when we talked about the kingdom of God, we talked about how God is the ruler, he's the king of all things, and there's a realm that is his authority, his power, his dominion, his strength. When Jesus came preaching the kingdom of God, he reached forth and he brought the kingdom of God to people. He touched people, he healed them, people were saved. Uh, people were made well, relationships were healed, many things took place. And so when we talk about the kingdom of God, I really like to put it this way, the kingdom of God is life as God intends it to be. And when we talk about and connect this with what our whole theme is for this year, is the year of wholeness. Wholeness means wholeness in every area of our life. See, a lot of times we just look at ourselves as individuals, but when we're part of a kingdom, we're part of a family. When we're part of a kingdom and we are part of God's family, there's more in the family than just us, than just looking at the individual benefits that we have and the things that we have for our lives and the wonderful things that we have. So yes, there is God's salvation for us, uh, to, to bring us into his kingdom. There is healing in our bodies. He does that, uh, obviously, with individuals. We know that he did it in the Old Testament where the children of Israel, when they came out of the land of Egypt, when they had that Passover lamb, it says none of them were infirmed. So in other words, the whole people, young to old, came out of the land of Egypt in health. And so health is something God wants us to have and something we should contend for and believe for and press in for. And then there's also um, inner healing things of our hearts, our emotions, the wounds that we have, or even the thoughts that we have because we can't live in wholeness if we don't think the way God thinks. That's why it says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. When we get our minds thinking the way God thinks, then that changes our actions and we're transformed and we're changed. And so there's that whole aspect. But God's kingdom's even bigger than the individual. And he goes in, if we want to look at it this way, he goes into family units and he wants families to be whole. He wants our relationships with one another to be whole and to be a blessing and an encouragement and a strength to each other. That's what God wants, and that's what, what he had planned through his death and resurrection. But if you think of this, it even goes beyond that, because he wants to redeem society. He wants to redeem relationships with people within the city, not just families, but an extended family, but people next door neighbors. He wants relationships to be whole, and he wants to bring healing to those. And not only that, he wants to to bring healing to um, everything he touches, basically, every kind of relationships. He wants us to be godly in business. He wants our business relationships to honor him. He wants us in our creativity and the arts and all the things that we're involved in. He wants us to be his representatives and bring his life and bring his glory and rule and authority into those things. He wants to bring his glory even i think into the government not that we're to take over over the government and do it by control the idea is is that god's kingdom will begin to expand and move into these different areas and there will be change in hearts and lives and people 
And so there's this kingdom authority that we're going to talk about that we have as individuals, as a church. Have you ever thought how God views things? He, he views things differently. He views Israel as one, not 10 million different people, how many there are. He views them as one, as one man. And that's kind of an interesting concept that, that God has. He even sees kind of into the future, believe it or not, because it's future to us, but not to him. He lives in eternity. And so if you think about this, he talks about it in the scripture, how, how Levi, who wasn't even born, paid tithes to Melchizedek through his father. It's Abraham who gave tithes to Melchizedek, but then it says that he did too because he was part of the lineage. So interesting. God sees things differently. We see ourselves as as individuals. God sees us as a connected and interconnected and and absolutely joined together. There's we're joined together physically as far as family lines and we're joined together spiritually as being part of the body of Christ and part of who that is. And so what he wants to do is he wants to bring healing to to all these things and to relationships and wholeness and, and salvation in life. So part of his kingdom is having kingdom authority. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to read a bunch of scriptures and I'm going to point some things out as we go through each portion of scripture. And then I'm going to give us a definition of authority. I thought I should do it the other way and then I said, well, I'm going to just swap it back because I want us to hear the scriptures first and then hear what the definition is. There's four aspects that we'll look at when we get to the end and then we'll have communion together. And by the way, we're going to be talking today, some of the things that are going to be spoken of is talking about healing and deliverance and freedom. And so if there's areas where you need healing and deliverance and freedom, wholeness in any area of your life, all you got to do to determine if you need that is just, just take a quick glance and say, am I at peace in this area, in this relationship, in this and that? And if we're not, to pray and to believe and to press in for God's wholeness because that's what he wants to bring that's what his death and resurrection was to accomplish was to bring us life and life more abundantly because he's the god who lives in us and dwells in us so we're going to look at some scriptures and these are common scriptures when we talk about authority but if we go to matthew chapter 10 he gives these guys some authority we want to look at at their authority that he gave them, and then we're going to look at some of the aspects. It's going to be kind of interesting. So Matthew chapter 10, verses 1. We'll just do verse 1. It says, Jesus summoned his 12 disciples and gave them authority. Now it says he gave it to them. So it's something that's given and it's something that's received. And authority comes from Jesus to the twelve, but they have to receive it, and they have to act on it in order for this authority to be realized. You know, it's just like, like we're talking about. We're sons and daughters already, and all of us in this room already have authority. We already have it. 
Sometimes we think we have to grow in authority. No, we don't. The second we come to Christ, we have authority. And the authority that he's talking about, we have it. Sometimes we think, oh, I've got to go here and have this great ministry. I think we have to do this and we have to do that. But God automatically puts this same authority upon every single one of us. It's just that we don't realize it and recognize it. So Jesus summoned his 12 disciples, gave them authority over what? Over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. And so this is an authority that he gives, right? And it's an authority to actually see other people touched and healed and delivered the same way Jesus did. It says wherever he went, he was healing the sick, he was casting out demons. In other words, he was setting people free to experience life the way he intends it to be because he's never intends for us to be under demonic influence he never intends for us to be sick and i'll just say this right right now is that there's if if you've had any teaching that says about sick uh, you know healing and stuff that it's not not part of the atonement that it's not for today that we have to be super holy in order to receive whole you know healing or even get it we have to earn healing we have to get rid of these ideas because that's not true. It's not true, but it stops us from receiving because Jesus has given us authority. And so we press into that to heal every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. That doesn't really leave too much to be left over. So then in Luke chapter 9, this is another wonderful scripture where it's talking about the same thing. But there, uh, Luke adds a word. He adds a little different understanding to the picture because it's talking about the 12 again. It says, And he called the 12 together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to heal diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to perform healing. Now he's sending them out to do something. And it says that they're to preach the gospel, right? They're to proclaim and they're to cast out demons and they're to heal the sick. So there's this authority to bring his peace, his wholeness into the lives of other people. They were sent out to declare Remember, part of this was to proclaim the kingdom of God is at hand. It's here right now. God's in this room right now to touch and to minister and to bring life and to heal and to do the things that only he can do. He's here, he's available, and he desires to move in in our midst and, and show himself strong. And it says, so they went out to perform healing. That sounds weird, doesn't it? <laughs> perform healing. I'm going to perform healing on you. But in other words, they were actively praying. I was reading a couple of different books, and one of the things that a couple of authors talked about, they said, Lord, I want to see more people healed. Oh, God, I want to see more people healed. And God told them, pray for more people. (laughs) Real simple, isn't it? I want to see more. Well, then pray for more people. 
and start praying and start believing and start exercising and putting that into effect because we have authority to do that. And really, authority can be given but not exercised. So that's really important for us to remember. Then there's Luke chapter 10. And that's verses 19 and 20. Now, remember in chapter 9, Jesus, uh, you know, puts this anointing, this authority, he gives it to, to the, just the 12, but then he picks 70 others. And he gives them authority, and he sends them out, and they're going to different villages, two by two. So there's 35 teams that are going out, and they're doing ministry, and they're going from village to village in preparation for Jesus to come. You know, a lot of times we think Jesus just walks in and, and all of a sudden there's this massive crowd. Wahoo! How did they know about Jesus? Well, he sent his disciples ahead of him. He sent them to proclaim the gospel and to proclaim that Jesus was coming. And when he came, that's, when, that's why all these crowds were there. That's why they were knowing where he was because he was going through and he was just going from city to city and town to town, village to village, speaking forth the gospel of the kingdom and doing the work that he did. And even when he tried to hide, he couldn't. People hunt him down. So these guys come back, right, these 70, and they go, oh, we were able to cast out demons. They're telling Jesus, this is so awesome, man. This is great, casting out demons. It's so powerful. And so Jesus talks to him, and he says, verse 19, he says, Behold, I have given you authority to tread upon serpents and scorpions. Of course, those are word pictures of demonic forces, you know. It's just word pictures. He's not saying, oh, go step on snakes. In scorpions in the desert, he's talking about demonic. And it says, and over all the power of the enemy. He says, I have given you authority over all the power of the enemy, over every part of it. He says all. And so we have to get that. And nothing will injure you. He says, nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that your spirits are that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven, are recorded in heaven. And so he's saying, you know, they're coming, man, it's so powerful, it's so wonderful, it's so great. Jesus said, Don't even don't even worry about that. That's just part of the authority. Don't rejoice over that. It's no big deal. But he says, You need to rejoice that your name is written in heaven, recorded there, and for us to remember who we are. That's what we should rejoice in, not the fact that we have power over the demonic realm, but that we're child, we're, we're children of God, we're recorded, we're safe, we're secure in his love and his care for us. And he talks about that in other locations. But I like how Mark puts it. Um, Mark chapter 3, we're going back again to just the 12, but he still gives us a clue of what God's intending for us. Because as we'll see in a moment, this is going to be talking about us too. Mark chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. Here's how Mark says, this is so cool. And Jesus appointed 12 
so that they would be with him. That's his first primary goal. I want you guys to follow me. I want you to be with me. I want to be in relationship with you. I want to to be, you know, I'm, I'm, I'll be your Lord, obviously, but I want this relationship. I want you to be with me. And it says, and that he could send them out to preach and to have authority to cast out demons. And then it says he appointed 12 and he called them to be with him. And that was really what, what his whole goal is in the first place. You're going to be with me. And if you see how Jesus did it, he went and he had these guys. And it was actually, uh, actually when, when we get to this thing, I've given you authority and he sends them out. They've been with him about a year at that time. So what he's done is he's taken them and he says, follow me, watch me. Look at what I'm doing. Look at what, how I approach things. Look at how I think. And he goes and he begins to minister. And they're just amazed. You know, they see all these different events take place right before their eyes. They see, see people healed and demons cast out. And, you know, even the rulers, I, I wish we had some scripture that was on the inside of these guys' head. We get a little bit, but not a lot. But you just think Jesus is walking around and they're seeing this stuff every single day. Every day of their life, they're seeing seeing how Jesus responds and how he acts and how he behaves. And then after a year, he says, all right, now I'm giving you authority and I'm going to send you forth and I'm going to have you preach. And so there's this idea of coming together with Jesus and being with Jesus and seeing how he works. And then he sends us out and we begin to operate in the things of God and do the things that he wants. Now, you know, we don't have any evidence or anything that we can talk about, but I just, you know, you can sometimes go from your own life. I remember one of the things that happened to Suzette when she got she got saved and when she got baptized the Holy Spirit, she'd just lay hands on people and pray and they'd get healed a lot. And she didn't know anything. She's just a, uh, well, she's not a brand new believer. I was pretty brand new. But uh, I was really <laughs> brand new because uh, she got saved three years before See, the thing is, she responded to Jesus, but she never for three years really had any fellowship or grew, or, or two years, I suppose, because she was in a church for a year that, that was a four-square church, and then I became part of that church once I accepted the Lord. But she would just lay hands on sick people, and they'd get healed, and God would move through her. So it's not something where you have to be this mature person, you have to be this great person. It comes from authority, it comes from Jesus. Healing comes from Him. And it's as we just step out in that simple faith and begin to operate and move in those things, we'll begin to see God's salvation. And we'll begin to uh, see him work and do things. But he wants us to be with him. Now let's uh, flip over to Matthew chapter 10, verses 7 through 9, I think. Matthew chapter 10. So now he's talking to these guys. He's telling them to go out and begin to speak. Here's what he says. And when you go out to these different villages, these different cities, he says, preach, saying the kingdom 
of heaven is at hand. In other words, they're declaring God's here right now. God's here right now in your midst. Here, right now, right now, right now. It's here. The kingdom of heaven is here. It says, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers. Cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. So here's what he tells them. When we combine these two scriptures together, he says, when you go out, I want you to preach. I want you to make a declaration of the kingdom of God and that God's power is available and he's, he's here and he's now. And I want you to preach it. I want you to proclaim it. It's a declaration of the things that God wants to do. And I want you to heal the sick. Now, these are kind of verbs. Heal the sick. In other words, they need to be healing the sick. Raise the dead. Cleanse the lepers. Cast out demons. And he says this interesting thing. Freely you have received, freely give. Now, we started, this first verse that we started with says, He gave them authority. Authority is freely given to us as believers. And so freely we've been given, freely we can give to others. Now we don't give his authority, we act in his authority and bring about his rule and reign, just like Jesus did. And that's really kind of our job description right here. And it's for everyone, it's not just for the few, it's not just for the twelve, because we'll look here in a moment and we'll find some other scriptures that actually talk about about the expansion to everyone, to everyone. So let's look at two more scriptures, then we're going to look at what authority is. But it says, freely you have received, so freely give. Give something that's been given to us. We can let people be touched by the power of God. Let's go to Matthew 28. I think everyone knows this scripture. This is preached all the time. It's the classic scripture, Great Commission, the Great Commission where Jesus sends us out. So you got to remember there's a lot more people than just the 12 here, but this is is something he has for every one of us. Now Jesus said, now remember, he's, he's already died, he's already raised from the dead, and Scripture says that when he, when he died and rose again, he broke the power of the enemy. He destroyed, he disarmed the enemy and spoiled his kingdom and took captivity, those who were held captive. You remember that thing where it talks about Abraham's bosom? That was where Abraham and the righteous saints were. And then there was a big divide and then there was... The rest of the grave, which was those who were being tormented. Oh, just stick your finger in water. Dip it in water and bring it over here. I'm in agony in this this idea of this great gulf. These guys are at peace because, they're well, if you want to put it this way, their spirits are kind of in a holding tank because they can't be in the presence of the Lord uh, until Jesus cleansed the way, right? So they're in a place, and it's called Abraham's bosom. And when Jesus broke the power, it says he took the death, the, the keys of death and hell. In Hades, right? The grave. He took the, he took the, 
the, those keys, and it says he led captivity captive. He took all of those into the presence of the Lord because prior to that, they couldn't be in his presence because, again, the blood of Jesus, once he sprinkled his blood, that opened the door for all things. And he brought those who were held captive and freed them and released them, and they're in the presence of God. And they're with him, which is a wonderful thing. So, then Jesus says this, because of his victory that he won, he said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Now he says, all authority. What does that mean? Didn't he have authority before? If you remember right, Adam and Eve were given authority over the earth, right? And when they fell, when Satan deceived them, and they chose to disobey God and become a God unto themselves, that's really what they were doing, is that they were rebelling against God. It wasn't just, oh, I just made a simple mistake. It was a rebellion against what God had commanded. God said, do not eat from this tree. And they said, I want to know the knowledge of good and evil. I will eat from this tree. I will become like God. You have to think about this because that's what the enemy says. God knows the day you eat it, you'll be like him. But the sad thing was, they were already like him. They were created in his image. But they're striving. I want to become like God and in in, in seeking to do that, they rebelled against God. And Satan, it says in the Scripture, in the New Testament, you got to remember, this New Testament stuff is after Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. Paul says that he's the ruler of this world. He's the prince of the power of the air. And Satan has this, still has this place. But Jesus says, all authority has been given to me. He's broken the power of the enemy. And now he says to us, go in my authority and win this place back. He didn't just wipe the devil out and cream. He put man back in charge. And through his authority, we're to expand his kingdom and bring it from person to person, from village to village, from city to city, from state to state, uh, nation to nation. It says, go, therefore... And make disciples. That's one thing that we have authority to do is to make disciples. So anyone in the universe can say, you can't preach Jesus. And didn't they try to do that? You can't preach Jesus anymore. And they said, well, we're going to obey God rather than you. We have authority from him. And we're taking that. And we'll die if we need to. And some of them did. But there's this authority. He says, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always to the end of the earth. He says, I want you to teach people, teach people to do the things I've commanded. And we have a whole list of things he's already commanded, right? Preach the kingdoms at hand, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons, freely you've received. And so he gives us these things to do. And then if you really want to look at this one, this one's one of those strange passages of Scripture that people have twisted and turned and made really into strange events, especially down south. But this one is in Mark chapter 16, verse 17. 
And this is with a great commission too. In verse 15, it says, go into all the world. But it says, these signs, there are signs. You know what a sign is? It shows that it, this really, when we do healing and we do deliverance and we do the things that God asks us to do, it's a sign. It's a sign not only to us, but it's a sign to unbelievers. It's a sign to people that God is at hand. It says, these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they'll cast out demons. Why? Because we have authority. They'll speak with new tongues. He baptizes us with the Holy Spirit. They'll pick up serpents. And again, this is, you know, uh, not real snakes. That's why I say, you know, they have those guys that go down and they're in the in church and they have snakes and they do all this stuff with them because they have faith. Look, I have faith in God, I picked this snake up and people have been bitten and actually died because of that. That's not what this talks about. This is talking about standing against the works of the enemy. And it says, if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them and they will lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. And so again, here's this thing. These signs are going to follow those who believe in my name. They're going to do these things. They're going to participate in these things. And they're going to be striving for this in the name of Jesus. All right. So we heard all these wonderful things. Authority, 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 right? What in the world is it? All right. So authority is this. First thing we have to understand is that God, God is the ultimate authority. And Jesus is the ultimate authority. He's God also. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The ultimate authority. Nothing that they truly desire to do can be stopped by man. I know it looks like it, and if we don't understand God's plan, we get confused. Why is the world in such chaos and garbage, and why is there wars and rumors of wars? Jesus says there's going to be these, and he's... (laughs) come to be the prince of peace you know he's come to to bring his rule and his government here and and he even warns us that there's going to be wars and rumors of wars the the poor will always be among you all these things will take place and but this isn't what your plan is and if we don't understand that god's given us authority to 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 reach out and to move in his kingdom and to expand his kingdom then then we miss part of it. We say, well, God's not very powerful. God's not, I mean, all, why doesn't he destroy the devil? Why doesn't he take the world over? Well, you know, there's a time. Now, you remember how this says, Jesus says the Son of Man did not come to judge, right? That's the first time because he came to save the world. He came to die upon the cross. But there's a second coming of Jesus Christ when he's going to come and bring righteousness and justice. He's going to bring the wrath of God against all unrighteousness. And there's a difference because God's great mercy, his love, that's why when Jesus came, he wasn't just going out and destroying the wicked and fighting against it. They thought, well, shouldn't we fight against it? Shouldn't we, you know, Jesus take the emperor and snuff him out he thinks he's a god you know kill everyone (laughs) he came to save everyone and so what he's going to do is give people an opportunity to respond through our message and through 
any, any form that he can use. And when he comes back, he's going to be righteous and he's going to judge and he's going to bring that judgment. But God's the ultimate authority. Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, so you go. So now we're standing as his authorities. So that leads us to the second point, which is this. All authority is, is power based on position. It's the right to do something. This is what's so interesting. It, it comes from a word, the, uh, the root word is to be lawful. In other words, true authority has to have a source in something that's true. So I can go right now and I can say, Hey, Vince, I give you authority to go into Hugo's and take all the groceries you want and come out. Well, I don't have that authority. Now, if I was the owner of Hugo's, I could say, Hey, Vince, I'm just going to bless you. Go in, fill up your shopping cart as much as you can fit in it. It's yours. And guess what? He has authority. Now, Vince would be in trouble, and maybe I would. I don't know. But <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? Authority is lawful. Authority comes from a true source, and that's why authority comes from God. And it even says, you know, our ruling government and all these kind of things, even that comes from God. Now, men can move beyond God's purpose, and do terrible things, and we've seen governments do terrible things. We've seen terrible things happen in churches that should never happen. We've seen all this stuff, but it's not God's fault because he gives this authority. So there's this God-given position that we have. It's the rightful, actual, and unimpeded power to act. See, when Jesus gives us authority, he has the right to do it because he won it. He came and he overcame the evil one. And he has authority on this earth and he's given it to us. So it's based on position. And then the third aspect of this, this is one of my favorite aspects of it um, because, you know, there's different angles. It's like the wonderful gem that we have. Authority is freedom of choice. In other words, you know, before we came to Christ, it says we were slaves and slaves of sin and under death and all this kind of stuff. But when we come to Christ, now we're sons and daughters. Now we have the freedom to choose life. We have the freedom to choose the things that God has made available to us. We have the freedom to resist the work of the enemy, to overcome the enemy. And to destroy his yoke of slavery. You know, it says it in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, it was for freedom that Christ has set us free. It's for freedom. He wants us to be free. He wants us to be whole. He wants us to experience life as he intends it. And so there's this freedom. It says, therefore, stand firm. So there's a recognition that we have to do some battle and some standing to stay in the freedom and liberty that Jesus Christ has purchased because there's a whole system that's trying to get us to bow down and come under a yoke of slavery. It says, that, it says stand firm, therefore, and do not submit yourself again to a yoke of slavery. So it shows that believers are created and designed 
to be free and to walk in freedom and to walk in liberty. And he says, do not put your head back in that yoke. Remember what the yoke is. That's what they put on the animals to hook plows to and things like that. And Jesus says, take my yoke. Don't don't take a yoke of slavery. Take my yoke because my yoke is easy. Join with me. When we're yoked with Jesus, we walk where he walks. We do what he does. We follow after him. How do you know if you're following Jesus? If you're doing the things he asks you to do. That's what following is. Following is being obedient. Following is walking with the Lord and doing those things. So there's a freedom of choice. Now there's this second Peter. We're going to flip there because this is a really good one. Of course, I don't think you've ever heard me say this one. I only say certain ones like over and over and over because I want them to get into our hearts. I want us to understand that they're ours. So Second Peter chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. Have you ever thought about this part? Grace and peace be multiplied to you. He's saying, I want the grace of God to be multiplied. You know, a lot of people think grace is just, oh, God's nice and he's kind to me and he's gracious and he's good. But grace is God's power. He gives us grace. He gives us power. He gives us ability. So it says, grace and peace be multiplied, not just added, multiplied. I like that. Multiplied is good. And he says, let this grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. Now, did you see this? That this is connected with a true knowledge. We have to know who God is truly. We have to ask him. I I ask him all the time, God, show me. Show me who you are. It's not that I don't know God, but I don't know God completely because there's no way my little pea-picking brain can understand the incredible greatness of who God is. But, you know, all of us have misunderstandings of God and his character and who he is and what he can do and what he desires for us. We, we don't have a full, complete knowledge, and so we're constantly learning. You know, it's the same with any relationship. How many times have you known someone for years and all of a sudden they tell a story? I didn't know that. And we're just people. And we've only been around for a few years. God's eternal. We're, we're not even going to get... It's just going to be amazing. I can't wait till we get to see Him. I mean, that'll just... We'll have a glorified body so we won't be fried. That'll be nice. Um, you know, because that... I mean, I'm serious. Talks about that, that God, God dwells in... In unapproachable light, we can't approach him because of his glory if we were in his full presence. That's why God always had to hide himself behind a cloud or behind fire or or those kind of things because we can't handle him. Our bodies would just, we'd short circuit and gone. 
then we'd be in the presence of the Lord. But, uh, uh, and then we, we would be okay because we could handle it. But, but that's the crazy thing. But he says it, this, this comes through a true knowledge of him. So I'm constantly asking the Lord, God, show me. God, give me revelation. I'm praying over myself all the time, some of the scriptures that are in here. I'm saying, God, open my eyes so that I can see the greatness of your power that's at work in me. I want to, to know that. I want to see it. I don't want to just be ungrateful and say, oh, God, nothing's working. This is terrible. This is right. You're at work. You're doing something. Let me see it. You're, work, you're working in me even when I don't think you are. Let me see that. Give me a revelation of who you are. I want my eyes open so that I might know you and the power of your resurrection in my life. There's, there's this hunger for this but there's a freedom of choice now that we have because God has made it available according to his great power, his divine power, for us to walk in the things that he said that we have and that we can walk as sons and daughters because we're his, that we can boldly enter his throne of grace in our time of need so that we can receive mercy. We are his and then here is the very important part, the last one I want to talk about. Freedom has boundaries. It always does. God's not free to do anything he wants if he wants to remain God. So in other words, God can't sin. God can't be unjust. God can't be... Um, <laughs> If, all right, I just said this, and oh, every time I say something like this, there's always things that pop up, and people could say, well, God says God hates stuff. That's not love. God hates injustice. God hates stuff. that God hates sin because it hurts other people. It hurts other people. Sin always kills. Sin always brings forth death, whether it's to us or whether it's to those around us. God doesn't like that. He hates it because he sees the destruction. We see it. God hates murder. So do you. You don't sit around, <laughs> 12 people got murdered. Yippee! Yeah! No, we're, it's a tragedy. We hate that kind of thing. We hate that we have to live in a society like that. It's not right. We know it's wrong because God's placed that in our hearts. And so he's given us this. So freedom always has boundaries. God gave Adam and Eve freedom. <laughs> if you think of this, this is so wild and crazy. He gave them the whole world. And all they could look at was one tree. Didn't whole world tree. They fixated on a tree rather than all that he had given. And it's fixating on that that caused all the troubles. You know, all they had to do is say, Satan, get behind me. Get out of here. Just like Jesus did, and he would have left. He would have had to because they had authority. But freedom has boundaries, and those boundaries are his will, his character, 
in His purpose. You know, Jesus walked in true authority. Jesus walked in true freedom. Even when they had Him, even when they were beating Him, even when He was standing before Pontius Pilate, I don't even know how He could stand and chit-chat with Him, but He was standing there, and, and what does Pilate say? I have authority over you! He says, you don't have any authority unless it's been given from my Father. You have no authority. You couldn't do this. And actually, he says, I have authority. I could call 10,000 angels. I could call them. I have authority. I just take care of business. You don't have authority over me. He says, I willingly lay down my life. You don't take it from me. And that's the part that's the opposite of authority is people who are controlled by others or other things. Authority means freedom, but freedom is always within the boundaries of God's purpose and will. And Jesus is our example. Jesus didn't sin. He chose not to because that would lead to the same dilemma. He chose to walk and do the will of the Father and please him in everything that he did. And that's wonderful. Freedom's always within boundaries. So is authority. You know, this, uh, this authority stuff, you know? <clears throat> All right. So let's say a general from, from the army walked in right now. Oh, let's make it even worse. Let's make it a general from the Marines because they're tough dudes, right? <clears throat> Comes in, got, got the bald hair dude, walks stiffer than... You know, I, I, I had actual instructor that was a Marine pilot. He was a major. And he'd walk around like this. He was just always just like stiff. But you didn't mess with him. <laughs> Nobody messed with that man. I guarantee you. He was just... And uh, the general comes bursting in the door. And he comes up and he says, Vince, I'm picking on you today. You're under arrest. You're AWOL. He's not even in the military. He's a civilian. He's never been. I don't know if you've been in the military. Have you been in the military? He's never been in the military. I'm arresting you. I'm a general. Look. Look. Four stars. MPs, take him. Now, does he have authority to do that? Well, he's a general. He's got... He's in charge of thousands, maybe even, you know, 100,000 men and women. But see, that's where I'm saying authority has boundaries. And how it's been misused is when we think we have authority over people. There is authority, like within a family structure, but there's boundaries. There's always boundaries. And if we want to walk in God's authorities, we, we have to walk in his boundaries. His will, His character, His way. And that's really important. So, we have authority. Now, I'm going to kind of transition to communion. But I want to connect it to this because we still have authority. And today, we want to really hold true to what what communion focuses on. There's so many aspects. You can speak about so many different things. But what I want to do is to take communion, all the things that Jesus said and did, 
and bring it down to one word, remembrance. Because he said, do this in remembrance to me. Do this in remembrance of me. So what's this remembrance thing? Well, it's, it's to identify with the past. See, there's times, have you ever heard in the Old Testament they call them memorials? The set up a memorial? I'll give you a couple examples. Um, all right, children of Israel, the Passover meal. They had Passover every year and they were to celebrate the feast of Passover every year. And it was a eight-day celebration altogether. And they were to celebrate this, but there was one day where they took that lamb. Do you remember what they do? We call them Seder meals now. They have this meal, and what they do is they read through this thing, and they go, hey, what's this? What's this for? Why do we eat this lamb? And they go, because. Why do we eat the bitter roots? Because. Why do we eat this? Because. And it's, it's a constant memorial before not only the people, but before God of the event that took place, that he brought them out of the land of Egypt and that they were delivered and they're never to forget it. It's a memorial. And then there's this one in Joshua chapter Oh, there's a whole bunch of them, but we'll just do a couple. Joshua chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. And so what they're doing is, remember, they're coming into the promised land. Moses died. Joshua's bringing them over. It's that flood season. And God says, all right, have, have the guys, the priests with the ark, have them step into the river. So they're coming, and they go into the bank of the river, and it's swollen, it's flooding, it's going like crazy. And they put their foot in there, and... God stops it. He puts up a wall and the water stops and it's dry. And so they're standing in the middle of the river. And all of the children of Israel cross over into the promised land. And when they're getting to the other side, God says, I want you to pull out 12 stones from the middle of the river. And so he picks 12 people, one from each tribe, and they grab hold of these rocks. He says, grab hold of the rock. Put it on your shoulder. Bring it out here. Set these things up. And then he says, what you're supposed to do is set this up as a sign. Set this up as a memorial. And when your kids come and go, hey, what are those stones there for? You're to say, God brought us over. It's a reminder. Remember what God has done. Remember what he has accomplished. And so here's one more, and I'll just give you this, and then we'll talk about Jesus real quick. So you remember, this is in, uh, uh, I think it's Genesis chapter 8. Do you remember God says, Noah, build an ark. It's going to rain. I'm going to destroy everyone on the earth because their, their heart the intents of their heart is on evil. There's all this wickedness and terrible things going on. There's just, it, it's, it's out of control. God says, I'm gonna, I've repented that I've made man. I'm going to destroy them, but you're righteous. You and your family will be the ones who survive. So they build the ark. They come to the point where the rain covers the earth, destroys every, all the living creatures except for those who are in the ark, and it comes and it lands on top of the mountain, and he comes out, and God says, I am going to put 
a sign in the skies. I'm going to put my bow. We call it a rainbow. He said, I'm going to put this thing in the air there for us to see in the sky. And he says, this is God. I don't think he has a short memory. But it says this. I, when I see this, I'm going to remember my covenant as if he could forget. But God himself says, I'm setting this rainbow as a symbol that I will no longer destroy the earth. It's a covenant between me and the earth and every living creature. And there's this remembering. And here's what he says in verse 16. He says, I will look upon it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature. And so now Jesus says, do this in remembrance. When we take this, this is a remembrance to God. When we take this, this is a remembrance for us of the covenant. The word remember focuses on the covenant. And so Jesus, we can identify with Jesus and his crucifixion. We can identify ourselves with us. We, we, can, we can declare the blood of the covenant is for us because Jesus made it available for us. We can remember the promises. And that's why it's talking about, it says, seeing that his divine power has granted us everything pertaining to life and godliness through a knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. It says, for by these he has granted us his precious and magnificent promises so that you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust he says these promises all the promises that god has they're available to us so that we can become partakers of his life and so when we partake of communion, remember every precious promise that God has spoken to you. Remember the precious promises in the word of God. Remember the things that God has spoken to you. Remember that healing is for you. Remember that wholeness is for you because Jesus Christ has purchased it. It's a remembrance, not only to us, but to God of what Jesus has done and all the precious things that he's given to us but it's let's become partakers it's all available there's nothing that's not available you know how silly it would be (laughs) if this whole back wall there was tables there filled with food of every wonderful delicacy. And we're sitting here. And their sign says, free. Free. Take all you want. And we'd be sitting here. Ooh, that's my, I'm hungry. Oh, I'm just hungry. I'm just poor me. I don't have enough to get good food. You know, so often the riches are there. They're already available. But we fail to remember the promises. 
And part of the promises is us grabbing hold by faith, not working something up, but believing God and stepping into what he has. I don't think faith is ever working up. <clears throat> you know, it's, it says have the faith of God. God's given each of us a measure of faith. We already have it. We already have it. We just need to begin to exercise it and believe and trust and step out. So I'm going to invite us all to come up and have communion. I suppose what I could do is, uh, yeah, we could let the kids know. Yeah.